when their whole world is being shook right down to the roots. Um, and I think to begin with, we can think that we're in just a series of unexpected changes and we don't know what's going on, but actually the more it continues, the more that we might begin to realize, oh gosh, hang on, where am I and what's going on? And I think that that's why myth can be so helpful because for me, I went through a series of those changes and was sort of struggling down in the dark, but I had no framework for it. And when I discovered the Inanna myth, it was like all the lights switched on inside of me. And I was like, this is what I've been going through. How come I haven't known this story? Why didn't someone tell me this story as a child? And there I was going, wow, here's a story that is well over 4,000 years old, an archetypal rite of passage that I've been going through. And I had no clue. Welcome to Wildflow Podcast with me, Charlotte Puanto. I'm an internationally award-winning menstrual cycle and embodiment coach, cycle mysteries guide and founder of the First Moon Circle School of Menstrual Education for Children. Tune in for deep, heartfelt conversations with wisdom keepers, embodied leaders and change makers on themes from cyclical living in flow with your menstrual cycle and body's wisdom. Reclaiming rites of passages to normalize period positivity for you and the next generation and exploring our embodied experiences, soulful transformations and intuitive wisdom guiding you to express and embody your full power in the change you want to see in the world. Are you ready? Let's fly. Descending into the underworld is the stuff of powerful myths where demons and monsters dwell in the shadows. But whether myths and monsters are real or not, they serve a profound purpose to help us make meaning of the human experience so we can explain what isn't easily understood, helping humans across time, space and place to find threads of connection in the unknown. Myths stand the test of time. They're still highly relevant to us in the modern era, as much as they were to ancient peoples. They provide a map and compass for each generation to navigate the depths of the psyche through initiations, travails, dark nights of the soul, and transformations. Today's guest, Carly Mountain, knows myth and what's involved when we descend into the depths of the underworld to face our darkest shadows and tallest hurdles, having discovered and recognized her and many others' own life stories that mirror the great ancient myth of Inanna, queen of heaven and earth, who descended to the underworld to meet her sister, Ereshkigal, queen of the underworld, after sacrificing all that she knew about herself and the world she inhabited, only to be struck dead immediately by her sister. By working with this incredible myth and exploring the power, the healing and the liberation that can become available to us when we recognize our own calls to the underworld, where we're asked to surrender what's ready to die in our own lives. Carly helps us to map out this journey in her new book, Descent and Rising, and helps us to follow and make sense of our own underworld journeys by following Inanna's story so we can understand our own descents and initiations, so we can powerfully rise into our power and truest selves. After working with the Inanna myth myself for some time, 
I've loved reading Carly's book and I'm thrilled to have been able to chat to Carly for Wildflow. In this episode, we mused on what a descent is, what it looks and feels like in real life and how we might recognize when we're in a descent cycle of our own how to work with the seven gates as a path into the proverbial underworld that reside energetically in our body and why rooting down into our body in the earth is the embodied way to heal rather than the transcendent seat in search of enlightenment. How we can reckon with our own internalized patriarchy and release stories, traumas and old conditioning that stop us from growing and healing. The dark feminine that lives within us who she is, why she exists, and what she can teach us about ourselves and the world around us. The split between the inner masculine and feminine and how to reconcile that. How each and every menstrual cycle and menopause is a descent and rising in its own right. What it takes to rise, what needs to be left behind in the underworld to heal and emerge back into our power, and how healing is not linear. And much more. This was a seriously potent, juicy conversation, a deeply important one as well, that I'm sure will provide you with some illumination as to what you have been through before and what you might be experiencing right now and what you'll probably encounter again on your next descent into the underworld. Hey, welcome Carly Mountain to Wildflow Podcast. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thanks so much, Carly. I'm so excited to to chat with you and to uh, dive into your incredible book. Um, but let's begin, as always, on this podcast with a cycle check-in and just an invitation for us and anyone listening as well to just drop into our bodies and connect with where we are at at this moment in in our seasons and cycles, um, inwards and, and outwards. Um, and so I'll go first and then invite you to share yours, Carly, if that's okay. So yeah, I was um, just trying to work out where I am in my cycle too because um, I didn't ovulate the cycle I thought I had, but I, I got sick and so it, it didn't happen. So I'm mid-30s um sort of 30 I think it's about the day 36 now um in in this current cycle um and I'm feeling okay with that actually when this has happened before I felt really exhausted um but I'm just trying to really nourish myself and take it take it gently just keep my energy sustained because who knows Mm. how long it will be until I get that natural reprieve of having a period. And so I'm feeling, um, whereas I, I've been thinking I've been feeling pre- really premenstrual, that, that that sort of energy passed and now I just feel quite quite steady actually, which is is interesting. Mm. It's, it's like uh, a bit like no man's land at the minute. I'm not sure where I am and, and what's, what's coming, but just taking it a step at a time. Um, so that's really me in my in my cycle. Um, and here in Australia, we're in the absolute depths of winter. And where I live, it's mm. it's very cold. We've had some minus temps and big frosts, and it's and we've just started school holidays as well. So just deep in that cocoon of winter, 
really kind of feeling um, like everyone just needs a big rest. Everyone's very tired over here mm. and in this house. So that's mm. where we are. And um, with the moon, we ha- we share the same moon and uh, that'll influence us differently perhaps with the, the hemispheres as well. But we are uh, just past first quarter. So that waxing energy, like the spring of the menstrual cycle or the seasons and that growing energy. So whatever was, whatever seeds were sown at new moon will be coming a bit more to life now. So I think for me, mm. that's rest and maybe that's different for you. So I'd love to share, I um, invite you to share your cycle check-in, Carly. If you have yeah. a menstrual cycle where you are in that cycle and how it feels for you and and if not or if you resonate with any other cycles um just how you're feeling in relation to that today mm, thank you yeah so I feel like I'm on the opposite polarity perhaps to where you are I'm day 14 and just about to ovulate and it's also summer here in the UK. So the sun is shining today. I've been out with the dog this morning and um, yeah, yeah, my energy is up. So um, I've been running a bit this week and my yoga practice feels really lovely and warming. And yeah, I'm in that really enjoying that sort of summer kind of feeling both on the inner and the outer at the moment, which is lovely. Um, and yeah, my bones get so cold in the winter as you were speaking, I was really feeling that bone cold kind of feeling that I sometimes get in the winter. I was being reminded of that and feeling the warmth in my bones at the moment feels really pleasurable to me. Mm. So yeah, enjoying, enjoying that sort of sunny, sunny energy really. While it's oh. here, because it doesn't last long here in the UK, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and I do feel a bit of envy, actually, um, as you were mm. just describing the warmth in your bones and thinking, oh, yes, that is such a joy to be just warm and carefree and just to luxuriate in the warm air of your skin and not have to worry mm. about getting all the coats on and all of that, you know, kind of stuff. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, we have to appreciate the depths of winter while we're in it so we can appreciate the heights of summer. I have to keep reminding myself, you know, this cycle wisdom Mm. is is there and uh, it can be really helpful for people who who struggle with winter. So, yeah, Mm. I'm glad that you're enjoying it and what a joy to be inwards and Mm. outwards outwardly summer at the same time Mm. well it seems really um appropriate for this conversation because there's that inanna erishka girl that sort of upper world underworld thing being held in each of us it seems like so seems like a lovely place to start our conversation today Mm, love that yeah okay so let's dive in then um to what is just an incredible um, topic, something that's absolutely fascinating to me, something that I see that we are all experiencing at different times in our lives, but most often without awareness. Um, And that is the descent into the underworld 
um, and inner journey and then rising on the other side of that. So um, Carly's just written and released an incredible book called Descent and Rising. And I am just so happy to have her here to ask her all about it, having read it. Um, I've just found it absolutely incredible and been telling everybody about it. Um, And so Carly, just to bring us all into a place of common understanding. Um, mm. For some people, this might be language that they're learning about or familiar with and others maybe not having a clue what we're talking about. Could you start it off as off by sharing? What is a descent and why do descents happen? What purpose do they have? Mm. Mm. So for me, I talk about the descent being um, a descent into our embodied subconscious. So what I mean by that is literally something, usually a catalyst in our outer life that pulls us down into the depths of our being, into parts of ourselves that have been in exile or perhaps that we have had to suppress to survive trauma or difficulty or and what happens when we descend is we are plummeted down into those depths it could be through loss of a loved one displacement from your home um loss of money bankruptcy one one another way menopause all sorts of the different kinds of things that life unexpectedly throws at us that plummet us down into grief and into, I guess, a lack of control is a massive part of it. It's a place where we have to submit to what's happening in life. And when we have to do that, it tends to bring up not only the things that are coming up in the current life situation, but also tends to evoke things from the past that perhaps we haven't fully tended to. Um, So the descent is, as it sounds, something that pulls us downwards and um, it pulls us down out of what Ian McKenzie said to me the other day, the citadel of our mind. I like that. This, This space where we can sometimes live, the citadel, the place above where we're in control, where we know what's going on. It does the opposite of that. It pulls us down through our body, through our lives through our emotional selves, right down into the depths of our being where we have less control and often less conscious understanding, at least at first, of what's going on. So it's very bewildering. And I use that word quite intentionally as in bewildering because it takes Mm. us into a wild landscape of our somatic experience of our emotions, of, of that which we can't control in life. Um, And I think this does happen on some level to most people, but for some reason it seems to be heightened for certain people. And I'm not quite sure why that is, Um, but some people seem to go down into this stripping, stripping of self in a very, very potent way. And um, 
often I find that with the kinds of people that I've been speaking to and connecting through for my work for many years, it it's um it seems to be something life calls us towards when we really need to transform where we're at now into somewhere else. So it's a real shift of creative energy, actually, even though it can feel like and definitely does include death, it really moves us towards life ultimately. So it's about coming back into the cyclical wisdom, back into seasonal wisdom, back into relationship with the depths as well as the heights, which I think culturally, certain in Western certainly in Western culture, we are estranged from that way of being. We are much more prone to wanting to be on a linear, constantly productive upward trajectory. And so for me in this time, uh, I feel like the descent is essential to bring us back down to earth in the collective and in the personal. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting what you said there about that this can happen to many people, but not everybody experiences it in that deep way. And I'm curious, now you've mentioned it, about what it is that brings us down, whereas others don't descend as much. Mm. Um, mm, It's just something to ponder on, I think. Um, Mm. And I'm curious then, what is it about your experiences perhaps or or what is it that called you to write this book why is it that we need this guidance on a descent um and yeah how do we even know if we're in one (laughs) yeah it's a good question um So what called me to write the book was that I'd been working with this and I'd been working with women in it and in my own descent for a few years. And then COVID happened and I was looking around at what was going on and I was like, we're in a collective descent, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's recognizing it. Our leaders were talking about fighting it, getting over it, dominating it. It was the same old kind of hero's journey trajectory upwards and domination and all of the things that our culture tends to go towards. Mm. And I just thought, I need to write about this because why are we not talking about the descent? Why are we not looking at the deeper lessons that this descent of COVID is bringing to us? Why are we not looking at the relational teachings inside of it? And I was really frustrated by that, but I also just saw so many people suffering from the losses that they were experiencing because there was so much death wasn't there and so much Mm. loss of social contact, loss of freedoms, loss of, yeah, how we had lived. Um, And it just felt so profound to me. It was like all the work I'd been doing in women's circles and in my own life and in the more personal way over years, it was like, wow, here we are. (laughs) Um, So that was what the catalyst was and it also created the space for me to write it um i think the way that we know that we're in the descent is because it is usually a series of of changes one after the other in succession um so in the book i describe it as like an earthquake where 
the epicenter is the initial thing and then it ripples out and changes the landscape of our lives. So it tends to move through all of our relationships, through our work, through our sense of self, through our spirituality, through our, you name it, it touches it. So the way I know that someone is in the descent is when they're saying, you know, when their whole world is being shook right down to the roots. Um, and I think to begin with, we can think that we're in just a series of unexpected changes and we don't know what's going on, but actually the more it continues, uh, the more that we might begin to realize, oh gosh, hang on, where am I and what's going on? And I think that that's why myth can be so helpful because for me, I went through a series of those changes and was sort of struggling down in the dark, but I had no framework for it. And when I discovered the Inanna myth in a book by Linda Hartley called Servants of the Sacred Dream, it was like all the lights switched on inside of me. And I was like, this is what I've been going through. How come I haven't known this story? Why didn't someone tell me this story as a child? Because I'd never heard it before. And there I was in the dark going, wow, here's a story that is well over 4,000 years old. This is an archetypal thing, an archetypal rite of passage that I've been going through. And I had no clue. Mm. So um, I guess for anyone listening to this who's going, oh, wow, that feels like where I'm at. It's like, yeah, this is actually, though particular shapes of our individual descents are very much personally shaped. This is a universal path and one that people have been walking for thousands and thousands of years, probably as long as it is that humanity has existed, really. Mm. And for me, this medicine in knowing that it makes it, it brings the sacred rooting of our descents and risings closer to me by knowing that somehow mm. oh, I share your feelings about like why haven't we heard the story before and the first time I heard this myth I thought oh my gosh is that what it was um yes and it was like this meaning was made of something I had been through in a big way um, and at the time didn't understand it myself, didn't even really understand so much on the other side of it and nobody around me could understand or witness or hold. And I think mm. that hold me in that process. And I think that it's so disorienting to completely have the world as you know it crumble and yeah. you as you know it as part, as part of that world to crumble and then to get to that point of, well, what's this all about then? There's got to be some greater purpose here or some I, like I just don't know anymore and then yeah. the way that we get put back together on the other side and to come out of it 
it's like um, uh, when we don't have that language and that understanding and that's what the myth gives us is this mm. like you say it's a blueprint almost it's like a path that has been walked mm. before if we were more literate in these things we'd be able to have that quicker understanding like you said ah oh, i'm i'm doing this or ah oh, maybe you're doing that and i'd wonder if if we had a world where <laughs> or a culture where more of us were able to be um aware and and to have that support to go through it as well whether more of us would feel safer to descend curious whether it would be quicker and any easier probably not <laughs> um but also whether we would really get the gifts out of the process mm. more easily if we had that 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 guide and one of the the characters in in the story um ninshaba is is the mm. the witness um yeah. the inanna's um witness and 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 uh how would you describe ninshaba yeah exactly what you say she is the witness so she's the witness on the inner and the outer so she might be, she's our internal witness. And in terms of like modern day knowledge, she could be thought of as our prefrontal cortex. So that's the part that is obviously um, social communication, social, it's the social part of our brain and um, the part of our brain that can witness and understand what's going on around us. And actually, mm. when we experience trauma or we go into survival instinct, as you probably know, and, and others listening, that is the part that actually goes offline. And the more survival instinct, the other parts of the brain light up to help us respond to threat. But that part, so Ninjaba is that part that has that witnessing um, element. And then externally, it could be a sacred space holder, an elder, a therapist a trusted other basically who mm. does have the wisdom and capacity to see us in our descent. And I think that that takes a certain amount of life experience um, and also courage to hold others inside of that. And I think that the collective holding in our, our cultural narratives don't really do that. Our cultural narratives are more about fixing, generally speaking, or patching people up enough that they can go back to work and be productive and contribute, in inverted mm. commas. And so um, even within therapy, in my experience, not all therapists hold in this particular way because um, it requires on the therapist's part or the witness's part, Ninshaba, that she trusts the descent she trusts that stripping and she is the part of us that stays above ground whilst another part of us is deeply in subconscious being utterly dismantled and dissolved in the underworld so she is the aspect of us that allows us a to stay sane but b allows us to stay in life so you know a lot of women who i've spoken to through the launch of the book and and afterwards have said, you know, I'm a mother, but I feel like I'm in the underworld. Is that okay? And mm. I'm like, yes. You know, 
motherhood can be a major catalyst for the descent. And I think often that's framed as, oh my gosh, how I must be being a terrible parent because I'm going through all this stuff and I'm being a mother to my child. Well, I don't think that's actually true. The ninshipa part is allowing you to stay with your child and do the day-to-day stuff of taking care of yourself and probably them. Meanwhile, there's another part of you that's deeply in the underworld. So she is the one that helps us bridge that space between subconscious and conscious and also life and death, I guess, in a way, like what is dying in us is is going to ground and what's alive in us is the ninshaba part that stays above ground and somehow holds the hope and potential for the new life that is being birthed, if you like. Mm. Because I think often our culture would frame the descent as us failing. And actually, when people think they're failing, often I find they're birthing. And um, there's a, a distinct mistrust of that deep feminine cyclical life, death, life process in our Western culture. And we mistrust birth both in the literal sense Mm. And in this metaphorical sense, in terms of our life, death and births, you know. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, thank you. So on that note, I'm really drawn to ask you then, in the book you've described Inanna's descent or our descent, us as Inanna, um, where she, in in the myth, she um, chooses to go to the underworld and she's guided through these seven Mm. gates that she must Pass, and in order to pass each one, she has to leave items, treasures, um, status symbols of hers that represent her her status and her power and her identity on on Earth. And she has yeah. to take them off one by one, um, unequivocally, absolutely, no, not up for discussion whatsoever. It's uh, if she wants to pass, yeah. this is what's happening, and. You've described it in in the book as these gates are a match for layers, and and if you're familiar with chakras, the chakra points, um, mm. these, these these places in our bodies, these energy centers, and you've described it as a descent from our crown being the first mm. gate, right the way down to our root at our our base as the the last gate and uh, this descent down into our bodies and i'm fascinated by that because you know i always hear and in and in yoga for example and and in other places that i've i've heard it mentioned it's it's this you know everything's about this rising upwards and this kind of search for enlightenment and to access you know this uh higher consciousness above and i just mm. absolutely felt like yes <laughs> when i was reading mm. your book and it was about this descent back down this embodied aspect really speaks to me and you said in the book you wrote all the gates teach us how to unconditionally listen to the body because the body remembers and it mm. was like this this feeling of like oh yes and so i'd love to explore this with you why we need to be embodied and reclaim our body and descend back into the body 
as women, as as mothers, as as uh, space holders, leaders, whatever we're doing, all realms of our lives, um, and how the body holds power and wisdom, and how we can reconnect with that, whether it's been lost or taken from us through this descent back down, um, and I'm just really curious about about this process this descent process back into our body. So what is it about this descending into the body process that can really help us find ourselves again and 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 let let die what needs to die essentially. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that that quote that you've just pulled out of the book really encapsulates it in the sense of the body remembers. So even the things that we consciously don't recall are held inside of the body. And we live in a really dissociative culture. You know, we're a technological focus. We're on our screens a lot. We are very busy. In many ways, we're taught to override the body in order to get things done. And In order to deal with trauma, we dissociate from the body to an extent. So I think that dissociation is a really natural and useful survival strategy, one that we need. So I'm not shaming dissociation, but what I am saying is that if we live our life in a dissociative state, then we are only living again in that citadel of the mind. And what is going on underneath that, and particularly for women, um, or in fact, all beings, (laughs) but because of our menstrual cycles and because, you know, for those women who choose to give birth to babies and all of that stuff, it's a really, women have a really inherently embodied life cycle that we live through. And we're even taught to override that in this culture by suppressing it with hormones or, you know, blah, 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 and are taught that that's good for us. So a lot of our cultural stories and structures are geared towards, as you say, the upward trajectory. And what can often get lost inside of that is the remembering of ourselves, our bodies, our needs our pleasure, our connection with the earth, our cyclical wisdom, and that deeper knowing that exists inside the layers of our, what I call embodied subconscious. So yeah, those seven gates provide a structure for understanding. Um, But I certainly find that it's not a linear process. So when we descend down through the seven gates, it's not like we go literally down the head, the third eye, the throat, the heart, the solar plexus, the womb, the um, root. That's not how it goes, right? But by looking at those seven gates and inquiring about what each one represents, how energetically it feels, what might have been suppressed in there, what might want to be expressed in there, all of that stuff we get to know ourselves in a different way and we return to the wisdom of the body. And I feel like Inanna as a goddess of sexuality 
um, really holds keys for us about our sensual, sexual, animal, somatic aliveness that brings us home, brings us mm-hmm. home to to the things that need tending to inside of us and therefore our life because we are embodied creatures. So whether we're suppressing our body and our embodied wisdom or not, the body is going with us every single place that we go and is experiencing what's going on with it. We can't escape the body. The only way to get out of it is to die, right? Mm -hmm. But most of us want to stay in the body ultimately. So for me, I love working in an embodied way because Well, for me, there's just only so far you can get with your mind. And then you'll bump into your body. Mm -hmm. And then you'll go back to the mind again, and then you'll bump into the body again. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm going to bump into my body again, even if it's just I need to sleep now or I need to eat now. Your body is going to demand certain things of you. So, yeah, going down through those seven gates, as you say, it's not a choice. And the the phrase that Inanna meets with at each of the gatekeeper, as she goes through each of the gates and something else is taken from her, she says, what is this? And the reply that comes is, the ways of the underworld are perfect. They may not be questioned. And this, for me, is the natural laws, the laws that we are mortal and we will die, that the body will get sick. And ultimately, yes, we've got great healing modalities, but we are all going to experience some kind of incapacitation at some point in life. Um, The natural laws of the earth that, you know, we need the earth for food. We have to be in relationship with the earth for water. We have to, we are part of her. We're part of the ecosystem. All of these things are partnership, relational laws that cannot be questioned ultimately and i feel like the descent brings us right up to that reality however it does it Mm. tingles that expression the ways of the underworld are perfect and may not be questioned just it's oh yeah there's no looking away from it and that's what it's yeah that's what it's about I was really moved in the book where you wrote this this paragraph and I, I just would love to read it because I think everyone listening mm. would really um, join me in desiring such a such a world. Imagine what we would feel like if every Sunday we went to a goddess temple where the holy water held in a vulvalicious chalice openly symbolized the life-giving water of the womb and vulva that the aisle of the temple was the vaginal canal, its red carpet, the menzies, and the altar, the seat of the vulva, that we ritually drank wine as a symbol of woman's life-giving, regenerative menstrual blood, which has been scientifically proven to hold healing stem cells instead of the blood of a dead man. Notice what you feel in your body as you read or hear this. The symbols adopted by Christianity are rooted in female anatomy and symbology that were taken under the control of male story writers for male domination. Mm. And to me, that just, it's such a contrast between how 
I believe we all started off in this honoring of of the life giving power of of the female body and, and womb and and where we're at now in this this corruption in this um mm. taking for male domination and I think that you know more and more people are really here to reclaim um our bodies and and what's inside us you know all of our power and our sexuality and to um to really listen to what we need and and to bring back that um reverence for ourselves mm. and i'm i'm struck as well by how once we do start to tap into our our cycle wisdom our body our our menstrual cycle particularly um, as we start to, you know, reframe or, or change our relationship with 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 this part of ourselves that we've grown up being really miseducated about, shamed about, very disconnected from. You know, we when we learn about our menstrual cycle at, right at the start, you said about how we're at different poles of the seasons and mm-hmm. cycles, and you know, our our bodies have this innate descent and rising rhythm this cycle Mm. every single menstrual cycle and I'm just would love to hear from from you as to whether you've found working with your menstrual cycle is like practicing almost practicing Mm. being with this descent and rising cycle this transformation cycle that happens within us and whether you see that when we come into understanding and relationship with that cycle, it can help us potentially with these greater initiations that happen, whether it is cultural or, or work or, you know, bankruptcy, like you said, or whether it is, and you mentioned menopause, for example, or childbirth, mm. you know, becoming a mother, mm. these very powerful rites of passages that are built into our bodies um yeah i think that's my question whether mm. that working with your cycle can help you to to tap into or feel more literate i guess in in that that transformation cycle absolutely yeah and apart from anything else i think it's about having a relationship with our body um because i feel like this myth ultimately teaches us about relationship and I feel like the menstrual cycle teaches us about relationship with those natural laws and I really love it in um, Wild Power Alexandra Pope and Sajani um, Hugo Willits's book when they speak to the natural limits of the menstrual cycle And this idea that actually the natural limits aren't a problem. They actually teach us to look after ourselves better. But we're told by society that they're a problem because we should be able to keep going all all the way through the month the same way. And I really bought into that without even knowing it was a problem. And I remember when I started teaching yoga um, in London, I was like 22 years old. I'd been on the pill since I was about 15 so I'd hardly started my menstrual cycle and went straight on the pill 
And when I came off the pill, I didn't have a bleed for 18 months. And I was like, wow, what's going on? And my ankle was really aching. It was right around the ovary part of my ankle. And I would just massage instinctively, again, the body having its own wisdom. I would massage this part of my ankle because it would ache and ache and ache. And eventually through yoga practice, coming off the pill, osteopathy, and just paying attention, my cycle came back. And that's when I started paying more attention to it. But it astonishes me really looking back and working with all of the women that I've worked with, how many of us have stories like that of the suppression that it wasn't even a question of, of it, it was just a good thing to go on the pill. There mm. was no other narrative. There was no question in me. It was like, this is what we do. This will protect me from becoming pregnant. And actually, I don't really have to have a proper period. So whoop, great. I can carry on mm. through the months all the time on one plane. And what I tend to hear from women as they choose to come off the pill or what have you, some women that I've worked with and friends have extremely emotional experiences after that as they start to come back off this plateau and into that cycle again. And they'll say things to me like, I think I'm going mad or my partner thinks I've gone mad or, you know, this is really hard. And then all the way through to, wow, I'm really feeling my feelings again. God, I'm feeling this and this and this and life's taking me in this direction. And it's amazing what is unleashed with those natural rhythms. And that is so, for me, a microcosm of what happens in our big life rites of passage in Descent and Rising. It's, as you say, it's a practicing of adhering to those natural laws that we should not really question that we should mm. we should abide by more because actually rather than rather than limiting us or dominating us i feel like really when we attune with them they support us they support us to rest they support us to move with our erotic energy when it rises they support us to follow our pleasure when our body is going, mm, yum, you know, we can go in that direction. And everything in between, for me, that's, that is the essence of descent and rising. It's, it's being with what's here rather mm. than what we would prefer to have here. <laughs> mm, I love that. Yeah. Questioning the natural laws, that, the way that we do with our bodies and I have, you know, like you say, similar story as 16 and it's just what you did and um, and came off the pill many, many years later, over a decade later. And it's like, what is this? Yeah, am I going mad? And all of that, I uh, really relate to that. And then, like you say, landing in this body that suddenly has a cycle and, oh, what's mm. that? <laughs> oh, mm. I don't think I've ever felt um that sexuality rising with ovulation before mm. like that eros just coming through and this pleasure in my body and in the world it's like we get really we're robbed of that experience it's completely switched off from us isn't it like you say at a, such a young age before we can even experience it for the first time 
and mm. that's just speaks so much to control and and um and the submission of 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 women but all people really under patriarchy mm, i think that the more we can like you say accommodate our cyclical selves mm. um and all of the changes that we go through in life it does support us i completely agree that's a really powerful way of of of, of putting it these natural laws that shouldn't be questioned but yet we do because of we the do. convenience fitting in Mm. And I feel like that ripples out to our bigger processes, like the way that we farm. You know, we don't allow that fallow mm-hmm. collectively. We don't allow for the fallow. And I feel like when COVID happened, my nervous system relaxed in a way that I don't think it ever, ever, ever had. Mm-hmm. With the stopping of the traffic and the closing of the shops and the closing. And yes, I'm in a privileged position that I wasn't financially struggling. So I know a lot of people went into survival and I'm not negating that. But I'm saying as someone who was financially held and in a safe enough space in their home, though I was concerned about what was going on, there was another nervous system down regulation that happened for me in the quiet and the relinquishing of that grind culture tempo that we are in you know it's the air we're breathing isn't it it's Mm. like even if I'm practicing my cyclical wisdom when I go out into the world the speed and the tempo of the water I'm swimming in is dominated by that very masculine constantly linear productive energy and it impacts all of us Mm. I so hear you on that I feel that so much I felt that with COVID too and it reminds me actually in a you know in a way we've just stepped into school holidays here and we have three weeks Mm. and you know I used to think oh I don't want to have children who are at school um at school age because that means holidays and that means how am I going to juggle it all um, whereas I've learned through a lot of careful planning and preparation and boundaries that I can take that time to let the rhythm and the the hustle and the needing to get yeah. up early in the morning and everyone's shouting, where's the bags, where's the shoes, you know, all of that, <laughs> trying to get somewhere and just get through the day and mm. drop into this fallow period this time of the holidays to just oh. stay home and let it all go. And there's been a real, I think that's a re- I think that's a really, you know, surface level example, but I think it's one that we can so easily override. And yet there are opportunities all around us to give ourselves this this nervous system rest. And I felt it this morning mm. when I didn't have to rush to school and it was this um chance for a deeper exhale mm. that felt really welcome so i i i think that you know we really need to resist that inbuilt patriarchy really that inbuilt need that we have to to fit in and to you know it it's um you know for, for a lot of us it it 
it is a requirement to keep jobs, to keep earning, to keep whatever, yeah. you know, whatever we need to keep keep going. But it it takes real resistance to say no to um to continuing in that ever present, ever spinning hamster wheel and 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 choose a cyclical way instead. Hmm. Oh, I'm really the oh, it's it's just frozen. Oh, has it? There, Is it? Yeah, back? there we. Yeah. I've got you back. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I don't know who's who. What what happened? But I just no, I didn't hear sure. anything you said. Yeah, just at that point. <laughs> okay. I was saying. Um, I think that's what Erish Kagel brings at the depths of the descent. So Erish Kagel being. Inanna's dark sister, who is the the um, queen of the underworld, that when she stakes us, she incapacitates us. It's like um, it is that unequivocal submission to not being able to do the things that we've been doing, whatever they are. Mm. It is that place where we have to stop and hang on that hook and see who we are then. Who Mm. am I if I can no longer do all the things that life has been asking me to do, possibly forever? Who am I if I can no longer keep all of that going? Um, And Mm. what has to die there? Mm. Powerful questions. And I wanted to ask you about Areshka girl. I'm glad that you brought her up. So she, as you mentioned, she, Inanna gets down to the underworld to meet her and this is her sister. And I'm not sure quite what she was expecting when she, she saw Ereshka girl, but Ereshka girl instantly condemns her, doesn't she? And she kills her and she hangs her as a piece of meat on a, a, a hook and leaves mm-hmm. her to die. And it's so visceral and yeah. intense and barbaric um it's quite shocking to read that you know this is her sister who would do that to her and in the book you said that this is inanna being initiated Mm. by a woman by Mm. her sister and i just would love to ask you why does she need to be why does she need to, to meet submission and death in this way at the hands of her sister? What's that mm. a representation for that we could learn from? Mm. So in the more um, well-known telling of this myth, which is the Persephone myth, she is taken to the underworld by Hades, who is who rapes her. So that's the form of penetration that happens in that patriarchal retelling of the anonymous. Um, what I enjoy about the anonymous is the fact that she chooses to descend and that it's Erish Kagal that penetrates Inanna. So it's that yang feminine, which for me as a female feels so much more empowering because it's something about the masculine and feminine energy inside of me coming into a new relationship. And so 
for me, that stake, that hook that Erish Kagal impales Inanna on is that uh, penetrative masculine um, yang energy that exists inside all human beings, whatever gender we identify as. And it's described by many writers, and I describe it in the book as a death marriage. And why the death? Well, because something in us has to die. The separation between these two and the relationship that they've, the relational dynamic they've been in up to that point, which is separation, exile, domination, and, um, uh, you know, being oppressed, that has to die. It can't carry on like that. It has to end. And so in that assertion of Erish Kagal's rage and yeah, complete rage, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, mm. no way. In that assertion of those darker energies, something dies. And I think that it's really interesting that with, say, PTSD, that big outbursts of rage are really common, a really common part of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's it's like these rage, this rage kind of flies up and then will come back down again and then it'll fly up and come back down again. And it's actually a way, it's a way that the body calls us towards our pain and our trauma and our woundedness. And in a sense, Erish Kagal embodies that. She embodies the wounded part of us, but she also embodies the assertive, rageful, the, the life force inside of that dark energy. So it's both. Mm. Um, so there's so much in that. And as you say, there's sort of a barbaric, very animalistic kind of, it is really visceral, isn't it? It's, it mm. is that sort of instinctive action that all human beings are capable of um, that we are often really deeply uncomfortable with. Mm. And she asks us to go towards those parts of ourselves and get to know them better, which mm. is quite scary. Mm. Yeah, um, but I also it... has gifts inside of it. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, as you were speaking there, I had this this phrase popped into my head that I heard as a child, and I haven't really heard it said since. And it's hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, mm. and I just thought, oh, that to me is like such a shaming. Mm. Um phrase about the power uh, of of an angry woman you know I, yes. I, you know it's it's one thing to not be can um to be beautiful perhaps or you know that's that's something that um we can strive to 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 be to fit in and to not be perceived as beautiful is one thing but to be perceived as angry is like mm. This feels worse. It's like the ultimate, like that is the unacceptable woman. And I just had it in my head as you were, it came up into my head when you were talking about Arash Gigal's rage about how fearful and unacceptable it is to express that anger. But as you yeah. say, it does have gifts. It does need expressing to be mm. expressed, it can be healed. Otherwise, mm. it's just held down. 
Mm. And it's so much a part of our menstrualality, isn't it? You know, that mm-hmm. the the pre-bleed time, that Durga energy, that um and this is what I love about those goddesses, say like Durga, the the Indian goddesses, where they are, she's riding a wild tiger with these wielding these weapons you know she is there's a ferocity inside of that aspect of the feminine that is not passive that is not beautiful in adverted commas in that sort of pleasing kind of mm-hmm. way it's ferocious and might bare her teeth or spit at you or you know put you on a meat hook we have these parts and we deny them, I think, as women because they're not socially acceptable, particularly in women, um, mm-hmm. to our detriment. To our detriment, because if we don't have Erishka girl, if we don't have Durga, if we don't have those energies as part of us and as a known part of us, we can't bring in those boundaries that we need we can't protect ourselves we can't assert ourselves we can't look after ourselves properly so i feel like erish kagal and the way that she is exiled holds so much truth um and so much potency she's holding down there in the underworld that we need to reclaim and for those of us who fight has been our, our survival strategy what happens next is Erish Gagal, after she's staked in Anna, she starts to birth and feel the pain in her body. And I think, again, this is where the myth holds such cyclical wisdom for us in that it shows what happens after the rage has been expressed, the tenderness that's lying underneath, mm-hmm. the pain that's lying underneath. So for some women that I've worked with, they say, oh, but that's not my experience of anger. I'm really, it's easy for me to be angry. And then as we dig a bit deeper, what's often the case for those women is that the vulnerability is often the thing that's unexpressed. And Mm -hmm. Erish Gagel holds that too. That's the next part of the cycle in the myth is this feeling her pain, feeling her tenderness, and actually the parts that need empathy and connection. So, um, I feel like rage is such an important part of the cycle and then comes something else after we've expressed it. Mm. Mm. I'm really glad you said that. I think this is something that, as you say, you know, the premenstrual rage, for example, can be so shamed and so feared. And on the other side of that is the vulnerability of being emotional or weak Mm. or you know, not being able to hold it all together. And actually we're not meant to hold it all together. It's <laughs> our body is inviting us to to let yeah. go of what's not working, to let something within us die so that we mm. can go into that birthing of our, of what's new, that new cycle, our new selves in the next menstrual cycle. And I think that's mm. also what I really love about this myth is it just feels like, it's like you said, four thousand years old. Did you say it's mm. it's, it's over this is 4, old? It's, yeah. This is so old, yeah. and yet it's it's you know it just shows how long people have lived in right relationship with the bo- their body, their the earth, the cycles, the seasons, and you know it's it's only recently, really, in time, a snapshot, a small snapshot yeah. in the grand scheme of things where we've. We've forgotten all of this and, you know, it's time for us to just remember 
and to bring it back. Mm. There's so much more to the myth. Carly isn't there with the, that's just, we've really just covered the descent half. And after that Mm -hmm. is, is the rising half and all that it takes to move through that. And I feel like we could have another episode, another conversation about, about that, because there's so Mm. much to be said. There's so much that your book shares about what it takes to not dwell in the underworld because Mm. I think it's easy to get stuck there if we don't know what's being asked of us. And um, I think that, you know, in order for that transformation to, to continue and complete, there's, there's processes to go through and you've outlined beautiful um explanations and tools and 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 brought to life the characters in in the story in this ascent part that really bring Mm. us practical ways you know and and invitations and prompts to look at what within us that we need to let go and leave in the underworld so that we can rise and Mm. um i i just wonder whether you would um like to share anything briefly on the ascending part i don't want to keep you too long Mm, but mm. it's such a juicy part to get to go into yeah what would you like to say about that part well i feel like then when we rise it's when our erotic energy starts to rise again so like when the sap starts to come up through the trees in spring and summer coming back to that cyclical wisdom again but as you say it requires a sacrifice. So I guess for anyone listening to this, that's the key for me, is that it requires us to let go of our old coping strategies to an extent, to start to forage for a new voice, um, a voice that can say no when she means no and yes when she means yes. And it's also not linear. Just as we go through the descent and those seven gates are there as a structure, but they're not experienced in that linear way, rising isn't linear either. And I think sometimes there can be a misconception of, oh, I'm off the hook now, I'm rising, it's going to be easy and straightforward. It's really not that. If anything, it's equally as vulnerable because there are lots of concentric cycles inside the bigger cycle. There's lots of two steps forwards, three steps back. Oh gosh, I've landed in that old pattern again. How on earth do I do it differently? I feel like that's such a big question for rising. Mm. And in a sense, the nakedness of Anana continues above ground in that way because it's the time when we start to reweave our relationships and ask for something different, start to use the voices that we haven't dared or been able to use before, start to make different choices so that we can be more resourced, as in connected to source in those decisions. So it's rising rooted. It's rising rooted in the depths, in the wisdom that we've gleaned. And how on earth do we walk that in this culture, in this time? It's a massive question because what we've done is stepped outside of the mainstream. And as we try and step back in to that mainstream on some level, because we are all interconnected, we have to live in this world. How do we do that and remain rooted? 
And it's a huge question and it's one that I'm constantly asking myself and will be constantly asking myself. You know, I'm, I think we just continue to learn. And the final part of rising is compassion. And so I feel like that is really key is the compassion for ourselves when we notice we've fallen back into an old pattern, the compassion for ourselves when we're finding it hard, the compassion for ourselves when we're a bit scared to to use that voice and then we do it. Um, and the compassion for when we have to descend again on some level, because it's not just one descent. I think it's many, many descents. Um, so yeah, what needs to be sacrificed? What do you need to be compassionate to? And how do you dare to have mm. the courage to rise and call in support and people with like minds around you as much as possible to help support your rising? Oh, incredible. And I, I just want to speak one thing to that is that as I was reading the part about uh, Demuzi as well and who's Inanna's husband and this this part yes. of the sacrifice, um, one one thing that that comes up for me in my rising is is when I'm being true to my path and my values and my who I am, and when mm. there's someone near to me who doesn't get it, who doesn't mm. understand, and who wishes I wasn't trying to break away, I would just conform yeah. and just be easy and just fit in, and there is this choice to make in that moment to sacrifice mm. or abandon myself and what yes. I know to be true to just be easy and to just make the peace or to stand mm. strong and to, I bet I've that's where the compassion I can see as well comes in to hold that other person who I was going to say is is almost trying to oppress you back again into this this more compliant version mm. to just to just choose to choose to keep walking forwards and to be you and mm -hmm. to to do it that way and I, I was just really struck when I was reading yeah that section I thought wow it doesn't end does it it's like you say this rising it's you know long time after coming out of the underworld for me it's still that choice that that process of navigating how how to keep going how to keep rising rooted as you said that's beautiful mm. um metaphor mm. it's an incredible gift this book that just keeps on giving and it gives so much understanding along the way and i hope that everyone listening gets a copy and reads it mm. because I think there's just so much um, support and guidance and understanding and awareness and and that feeling of being like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not alone here. This is something yeah. that we can navigate um, collectively. I just think it's something that the people who will be listening to this podcast will be will be really drawn to, to to hearing more of. So please do get yourself a copy. 
And if I may, I just want to read, there's a, a closing section in your, in your book, Carly, that is just beautiful. I think you might've written this. You'll have to let me know, but you, you wrote Descent and Rising. The dark cocoon of heartbreak is vital ground. Through that devastated shipwreck appear the wings of spirit. The second birth canal whose rivers deliver us back to the heart of it all. In the ruthless light of day, one bridge burns and we are no longer our father's daughters. The stretcher we wake up on carries us through the thickets of the soul towards a new beyond. Heartbreak for one becomes a grieving for the whole world. Our embryonic heartbeats compel us to build new bridges, bridges that hum to the song. We remember and our footsteps touch the ground tenderly in their authority. The bridge to the goddess is built through a sincere heart and no heart is more sincere than that of the unwitting warrior who has found her yes, who cannot possibly remain folded. That one who through being broken in two is delivered back into one with everything. It's exquisite. Mm. Makes me feel quite emotional. What a beautiful way to end. End your, end your book and to end our conversation. Mm. Thank you so Thank much, you so Carly. Much. Mm. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation and it's so beautiful to hear that poem read back to me. So that was a mm. real gift. Thank you. No, you're so welcome. So anyone listening, where can they find you and the book? Mm. So you can find me um, at my website, carlymountain.com. And I'm also on Instagram, carly underscore mountain. Um, and on my website, when we launched the book, I held a free online retreat. And that's still a resource that is available for free you just need to sign up to my mailing list and you'll automatically get access to that and those conversations are also continuing monthly so each month I have a new guest and we're talking about the themes around descent and rising so hopefully that's a resource that can really support people with the book and the book itself you can get signed copies direct from my publisher Womancraft Publishing who are a great independent publisher of women's books and women's voices um and but if you want to get it elsewhere online you can get it from amazon or wherever you buy your books from online um and yeah please do get in touch and let me know how you go with the book because i just love to hear how it's landing with people um so thank you mm, thanks so much carly it's just so beautiful to to be with you and to to speak with you and wish you all the very best with with the book and with your work thank you so much thanks so much for listening to wildflow i love having you here if you're loving this podcast please show your love by leaving a review and a rating and share your fave episodes with those who you think would love to listen to to help share this passion project of mine with the world far and wide. To take the next step and learn how to live, love and lead and flow with your cyclical nature or for deep guidance and support in your cycle embodiment journey, discover my freebies, online journeys, trainings and coaching on my website at www.charlottepronto.com. Until next time, go well with the flow of your body's cyclic nature.